0: Welcome back to In Light of the Gospel, episode 30. Today I'm talking to Pete Claussen. Many of you will know him and be familiar with him. He's one of the elders and preaching teachers at uh, Lighthouse Gospel Church in Port Burwell. Uh, he was not always this way. When I met him and first heard about him many years ago, he was very opposed to Christianity, uh, opposed to anything that didn't resemble old colony religion. But his uh, his background and his history is one of rebellion. Uh, so it's interesting that when I met him, I saw him as as uh, organized and industrious and good and righteous and yet he shares the depths of his sin was quite deep and so to see him now come to a place where he's free and he's rejoicing and he loves jesus he loves teaching the bible it's a real beauty to behold to know that he was closed anti-gospel anti-christianity in one sense to now being a proponent of it and sharing it Uh, quite efficiently so i appreciate you coming around i appreciate you listening to this uh, podcast conversation and i hope you share it with someone who could benefit from it so thanks again and god bless you
1: one of my biggest fears is now when you stand in front of a mic to say something inaccurate because it's all over Mm -hmm. right away right and then if you're all of a sudden misrepresenting Mm -hmm. truth
0: somehow that could... Yeah, so I mean, one of the reasons I've started this podcast, and I think that the the podcast platform has been so effective, even for secular people, is that it's giving people the freedom to say things in a long form, where if you do make some mistakes, you can kind of walk it back, or people can you know they can kind of read the room they can see your your gestures your facial expressions and mm-hmm. they see that you're going back and forth and yeah maybe I said something wrong the next time you can say you know what I was I was a little off here I can correct it where with the previous way media was done it was just these little sound bites you know you mm-hmm. got 3 minutes And that's all the time you have to share everything. And it better be like concise and perfect and, you know. And then if there is
1: anything in that three minute, that will get cut out and that will get shared. Yeah,
0: even podcasts will do that, right? Somebody who doesn't like your ministry, somebody who doesn't like what you're saying, will cut out a little section and say, Mm -hmm. look what he's saying. Mm -hmm. But if you read or listen to the whole thing, a lot of times it clarifies. And so when somebody puts out hours and hours of podcast stuff out there, somebody might be able to grab a little three minute clip here, three minute clip there and pile it together and make it sound really horrible. But if somebody actually goes and says, I'm going to spend 10 hours listening to this guy very quickly, you realize that's not what he's about, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's where I think like long form teaching and sermons and also the long form podcast can be very effective that way. Cause you can't really, I mean, somebody who hates you, can tear you apart no matter what. Yep. But anybody who's kind of open will listen a little bit longer and be like, oh, that's not really what they meant or what they said.
1: Or... Yeah. I was listening to a clip somebody shared yesterday and it was about the, is it is it Ray Tinsman? Oh, from the church of God restoration. Their clips are really going around now. Yeah. So he's saying, I don't care what kind of questions you have. I don't care if you have 50 Bible verses backing up what your opposition is at the end for questioning brother ray you're going to hell or that's whatever. right i heard that too and you're thinking like how if maybe even backing up but if you if you have a a sound maybe belief in what is true or isn't true before you dive in let's say uh most most mennonites anyways in our background we would have been taught that god is the creator there wasn't a question about it, right? Like I would have, like, for me growing up, there was never a question. It was automatically God is the mm-hmm. creator, and the understanding that Christ was His Son. There was no question. It was, right. no, it was automatic, and that the Bible was God's word and it's true and you can trust it. Those three things, for most Mennonites, and not all, but for most Mennonites, like there wasn't even a question about that. Right. So if I have a question, if you're, if let's say if you're sharing a sermon and you're and you're off track, and I'm thinking. Something's not quite right. I'll go look at scripture to Absolutely. reference, like, where's my reference point for this, right? But if you're saying it doesn't even matter, you can find all I have the authority to say whatever I want. Yeah. And anybody who questions it's going to go to hell. Like, if that's like, I, I can't, like, my mind can't comprehend how somebody can get
0: to that point where they would take somebody's word over scripture. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Apostle Paul even encouraged the opposite. He's like, the Bereans were more mm-hmm. noble than those of Thessalonica because after I, the great apostle Paul, shared something, they went to verify in the scriptures to see mm-hmm. whether those things were actually so. And I don't think any of us should ever feel like, how dare you question me? I know. It's like, I'm glad you're questioning me because I don't want you to take my word for stuff.
1: Yeah, I've actually openly shared often when I'm preaching is, hey, if there's anything in my sermon that sounds off, you come talk to me. Yeah, I am not above correction. If, there, if I'm off in something, I want to make sure it's accurate. Like yeah. I was saying before, like, the, the idea of misrepresenting God by not presenting truth. It, I have a bigger fear of that than of somebody saying, "Hey, are you sure what you said there was accurate?" Yeah. And I've actually had some people say, "Hey, you shared uh, this. Uh, like,
0: what what did, what did you mean?" And I go, "Okay, good question. Let's check. Let, let's talk about it." Right. And then I've had to say, "You know, I was actually wrong there." And I've, one time it was even on a Sunday morning. I shared something with the kids. Somebody texts me during service and says, "That verse. I don't think it means quite that." And I looked at him like, "I think he's right." Right after service, I'm like, I think I misrepresented that verse. Here's probably a more appropriate interpretation. So,
1: yeah, so you had a, a kind way of somebody asking, right? I have one of my friends had shared something also in Sunday school. And then somebody said, You were twisting scripture. Whoa. And he's like, What? He, go, he goes, Check that verse again. It, it doesn't mean what you said. It's not in context, not what you were saying. And he looked at it and he goes, You're right
0: but like it wasn't a very kind, <laughs> rebuke, right? But because, because to accuse someone of uh, arresting the scriptures or twisting the scriptures, that's like someone strategically trying to make verses yeah. say different things. Right?
1: Yeah. So that was not that's his intent, strong. but, but he learned a lesson there, a very valuable lesson where he said, I will never take when, when he would be teaching on a topic that he would take a verse and say, here's what it means. He would always say in context of what Paul has been saying up to yes. this point, this first verse confirms what yeah. he's teaching on or something along that line, not saying a verse in every book of the Bible confirms my theory on what's
0: happening here, yeah. right? Like, and that's where I think having a well-rounded view of the scriptures, like knowing, obviously, I know very little about the Bible still when you look at the whole picture, but having a general overview of this is what the Bible is about, and mm-hmm. it says, and then when I read a verse in context, it should fit that overall view, right? right? And if it doesn't, then you got to be careful that you're not teaching things that just don't belong there.
1: Yeah, I kind of God put it on my heart now recently that I would I would start sharing on foundational truths from from our faith, even like from a Mennonite background to to an extent because of a lot of people not having a firm grasp on what is who is God, what's His plan, who's Christ, yeah, and and why why are we even here and what was the purpose and
0: simple things like what is it, salvation, what is repentance. Yeah, so my
1: my very first one was on 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 the the word of God itself. Like, can we trust what is written in this book? Like, how can we, like for me growing up, I didn't question it period. Yeah. But now if somebody says, Dan, why do you believe it?
0: i well, some errors in it. Or... Well, well, even,
1: even let's just say if you're, if your response is, well, it's sort of God, it's true. then I start questioning, okay, well, how do you know it's true? Yeah. Like, some people, that's kind of where they're like, okay, well, I'm not sure. I was just told, okay, well, who told you? And well, it's, my mom, it's a blessing
0: it's, to be in that state of mind where you just accept god's word for what it is but at the same time in order to answer critics in order to answer people who have questions we need to also have some good answers right? your foundation needs to be solid otherwise it's going to crumble the, the first the first person that can come at you even
1: if they're twisting scripture to prove their point mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you say oh man i was off your whole faith is then in in uh, jeopardy of crumbling right because now somebody's proven to you that what you believe isn't even true that's right so my first uh first or first uh, session was on on all these external proofs that scripture was accurate like even these stories in the old testament about the different kings and the different wars that were fought and the different uh different gods that their opponents believed in and all these different things and how how their historians wrote about the same event as what's yeah. what you find in scripture and how they match. And often they're not detail for detail exactly, but a lot of the things are actually like, when you look at the, the list of Kings, there's, I think there's 13 or 14. I forget the number exactly, but in a row where they are identical
0: from to the historians from
1: outside of Israel or the, or the Israelite group on the Kings that
0: the, and what they did. Right. And, and so at the very least, someone should be able to accept, okay, the Bible was actual historical documentation. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just made up some yeah. random kings that people just threw in there. Like.
1: Yeah. So now, if you're if you're looking at, and there's so many facts you can find. There's all kinds of uh, um, different inscriptions that they found on these like basalt stones, or these different tablets and stuff, or scrolls that are, that were found, which confirm that the Bible is accurate. And even a lot of historians, when they're going through. Uh, a lot of this old stuff, they will use the scripture as a reference point on what they're finding, and yeah. if it's accurate in timelines and all that stuff. So if you can already know that those things are accurate, then then you can say, well, my faith in scripture is valid then, because right. there's a lot of external stuff that will prove that it is right, even if there's critics that will try to uh, uh, try to debunk all of that. When when you have a lot of actual facts yeah. from non-believers stating that what what the 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 scripture has to say is accurate then for me that's proof to say i can believe what the rest of it says as well Mm -hmm. so that was my first lesson just to go over okay what is like what what's the bible and how do we know if we can trust it right and then the next one is okay what's our foundational belief about god what was his purpose okay what is the world teaching from like an evolution evolutionistic standpoint versus to what God says how things were happening. Mm-hmm. And when you start studying, especially if you have faith already, it's easy for you to look at uh, the description in evolution and say, man, it's that so is silly, right? It is just crazy. And then and then when you look at an actual description of in Genesis one, where, where he says, day one, I created this. Day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. Well, day six, he created man. And everything else he spoke into existence. And you know how much you were worth? he fashioned you. Mm -hmm. He took time. It was, it it was a delicate situation. It wasn't just boom. There he is. Right. And so when you think of all those things, well, why did he do that? He wants fellowship and he created a perfect, perfect situation in the garden where Adam and Eve could come and have fellowship with him. And he came, it says he, in the cool of the day, God came walking. and, 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 and then when they took from that tree that they weren't supposed to, uh, some say it wasn't actually the apple on the tree. It was the pear on the ground,
0: uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> a nice little pun.
1: Um, but when that fellowship was broken, what, what was the plan after that? Like everything leading after that up to Christ dying on the cross was to restore fellowship. That's right. Right. So that's kind of, uh, I'm excited about it cause it's kind of helping, uh, bring simple,
0: maybe but answers to what you believe and why it's mostly for uh, christians who maybe are struggling with certain answers like they can't give solid answers so now they have something to stand on and say yes i mean the bible says it and that's why i believe it ultimately and even if something from secular history or secular culture were to somewhat quote unquote disprove what the bible says Mm -hmm. i would hold to the bible anyway because i believe it's that valid but if i can find some external proofs that kind of validate what I believe and what the Bible says, then I can say, Hey, look, I mean, look at all these things. But, you know, ultimately I I listened to a a really neat series of teachings the other day on a podcast uh, forum as well. It was more of a teaching where he was standing uh, in front of people uh, giving an essay or giving a, not an essay, like a speech to secular people, people who are skeptics of the Bible. And his main point in a sense was that I cannot prove verifiably that God exists. Mm -hmm. There's no way that I can prove it to you. But, on the other hand the secularists the people who are natural-minded people that think that you can prove everything that you should only believe what you can prove and validate they have to admit if you dig down deep enough their their whole secular humanistic view is also built completely on faith it is you cannot prove a big bang you or if you believe let's say you believe that matter once came into being with the big bang there's no way to duplicate that there's no way to prove it or if you believe that matter has always existed and it just has been here eternally or whatever, there's no way to verify or prove that. And so you're banking on a worldview, a system of Uh thought that tells you that the world started here. Now, after that, there might be a lot of sense to be made out of maybe like um, evolutionary biology, right? Like humans have evolved to be this. I think they were created to be that. We might come to the same conclusions. Because you're seeing, okay, this was what man was made for. This was what man evolved for. It's kind of going to be the same thing. Mm-hmm. But the root of it, the the foundation of it, both of it is by faith. Right. Now, which which set of beliefs, which worldview makes the most sense out of the evidence that we see? And that's where I think there's some valid things that we can bring out and say, look, the Bible says this. And this is what man is made for. And this is what God is. And then, you know, you tell me which one makes more sense. Yeah,
1: And, and even... The idea of of life and why you and I are even here talking makes a whole lot more sense if there's a purpose behind it, mm-hmm. right? Like if we if we've come from from the Big Bang, like that that little dot that was nothing that was compressed so Somebody hard, spans. so much nothing was compressed so hard that it blew up and created everything. Like like it, it it it's not only that it's hard to believe. Like like how can you sell something that nothing
0: got so compressed that it blew up? And not that it like, just made a bunch of mass, but it made complete perfect order. Order. Like Everything all the plants, the rotations, like even even
1: uh God in, in Genesis one talks about when he created the the plants, when he created uh the earth and the rotation of it, he says it's for for times and seasons so that you can uh and the German translation says so that you can uh, have years and seasons mm-hmm. so that you can actually tell where you're at. Um so for us here in, in Ontario, I think we live in one of the best parts of the world by far when it comes to all these seasons. And
0: we get all four. We nice get things.
1: all four and they're all relatively short. So you don't really have time to get sick of one. Like you can't say it's been hot for 10 years or whatever. Like when are we going to have relief? Like we have short windows of all of them. Yep. And falls are absolutely beautiful here. And Winters Like
0: Alberta gets like six months of winter a lot of times.
1: Well, my my dad has some relatives that live up in Two Hills, Alberta, and they yep. said, we have about uh, ten months of winter, and then two months it's just really cold yet.
0: Okay. <laughs> so, I've heard that they have winter and mosquito season. that's pretty much it. yeah but, <laughs> but
1: when, you, when you think of all those things that happen and even how how nature reproduces itself,, yeah. God said in the beginning after their own kind. Yeah. they will have bare seed after their own kind. It's always going to be after their own kind. And then when you look at uh, some arguments for for evolution, they say, "Well, look at, there's a tiny little teacup. Chihuahua and here's a great Dane or whatever and you can't tell me that evolution doesn't I mean what is it micro or macro evolution right. like sure you, there, you have variations but it's still always after its own kind yeah. right? so
0: you could technically breed those two things right? yeah
1: yeah it's not impossible because they're the same type of yeah. animal and and when you look at all those things and it's for me it's easy to say well I believe the account of scripture mm-hmm. because it actually makes sense and there's a purpose behind it rather than I don't know somehow out of a bunch of goo this hot molten rock that that blew up or that was was blown into existence from nothing was too hot for anything and then it rained acid on it for a number of thousand years years. and whatever and then it took how many years for it to cool off and then all of a sudden out of all this dead poison a cell formed and one human body is is made up of what like a hundred trillion cells or Mm -hmm. something
0: so the, the single-celled organism somehow turned into such an. Elaborate. People
1: that can that can communicate, that can think, that can look at, at logic, that can look at uh, consequences for actions, like all these kinds of things that we've developed into from nothing. It, 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 well, for me, it's just insane to think. Yeah, but when you look at what God says
0: how it happened. It gives more reason. to. All, all right? of a sudden you think, well, that's the purpose. Yeah. Th- that makes sense. This, uh, the same podcast that I listened to, he made a big um, emphasis on the idea of human rights. Like we in the West, you know, America, Canada, England, and all that, we'd kind of brought about this idea of human rights that each individual is precious. And, uh, you know, we used to say, created in the image of God. But in the UN, they made some kind of documentation and I can't quote it exactly, but they said, basically, We're going to put forth the idea of human rights, but we're not going to attach the idea of creating the image of God. And so he says, if you actually follow that down the trail, logically, it doesn't add up. Because if we came from nothing, if we evolved to the point where the strong overcame the weak and slowly the weak kind of got pushed out and only the strong have survived. And we've come up with this intelligent society and there's no reason for human rights. There's no reason, logically speaking, if there isn't a God, if each of us are not created in the image of God, then why not put down the weak? Why show mercy? Mercy is completely contrary to the idea of evolution. Mm-hmm. Why would you ever be compassionate and merciful and kind? Well, some would say, well, for the betterment of all of society. But what if that weak person breeds and now all of society is weaker because of that person? Why would we give them that? You know, Why not just do away with them? What if each person is unique and individual and special and created the image of God, then that again gives more ra- validity to the idea of freedom, individual rights.
1: Yeah, and and if if that is the case, then you would have to agree that Hitler was good, right? If you believe that the survival of the fittest and all those things, that that's how because evolution-
0: that's kind of what he was trying to do. He was trying to get rid of what he deemed to be a weaker race, even lame people yeah. and deformed people yeah. and all that. So, for us looking
1: at it, it's like no way that that makes sense but the world is now saying that you know equality for all like we should not there like racism doesn't have any place in the world like all those things and yet what they teach is actually exactly that mm-hmm. right that there is superior race is that mm-hmm. it is survival of the fittest and that we're evolving and all, all those things right. so they're contradicting themselves all over the place and it's
0: amazing how many times they will quote like extremely racist people like they'll quote a lot of these uh, dictator type people or even like margaret sanger the uh, the person who founded family uh, planned parenthood in the states mm-hmm. which is like mm-hmm. a major abortion mill now almost all they do is abort babies their founder margaret sanger wanted to get rid of the black people she wanted to promote abortion among black communities as much as possible because they were a, like a, a stain on the human race like the same ideology yeah. as Hitler and yet now even a bunch of the that community will fight for abortions and rights and freedom that way when the core of it they came and see is actually completely evolutionary it's completely trying to destroy a certain type of people
1: yeah and see and when you think of of that type of thinking then maybe they were evolved from something because it doesn't make sense what they're doing. Right. Like they're, they're contradicting themselves in almost every way. First they're saying, well, our populations are going down. Uh, so we have to bring in immigrants and yet we're
0: trying to, we're trying to minimize population. Yeah. Like, yeah, almost, almost none of that. What's interesting to me though, is that like, if you're talking to an atheist or a skeptic or an agnostic, that kind of thing, um, a lot of Christians will just criticize them, put them down, try to try to make them feel small and idiotic for believing what they believe. Meanwhile, some of them are very logical, you know, good-minded people, maybe even good-hearted people to a degree. I know the Bible says there's none good, but um, a lot of a lot of hip or a lot of atheists. I heard one person put it this way: is that they are reverse hypocrites. A Christian hypocrite, someone who is a religious hypocrite, says there's meaning, there's value, there's purpose in life and yet they treat people with disdain and disregard, and they often abuse people and hurt people, take advantage of people. And we're like, what are you? You say you believe these things, but you act like you don't. And then there's atheists who say there's no meaning to life, there's no purpose to life, there's no, nothing beyond this world, but they live with compassion and mm-hmm. care, and they want to help people, and they love people. Why are you doing that? Like, you're Doesn't being nature hypocrite? itself
1: teach you that there is a God? <laughs> right? yeah. Like...
0: yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, So my next session is going to be on on Christ and how God from the moment when they broke fellowship with God in the garden to how, what Christ's purpose was and how he brought fellowship. There back,
0: you go. And that's all of the Bible is about that story yeah. of coming back to God through yeah. Jesus. It is, it is all throughout. And,
1: and when you start taking the whole scripture in the context, you can't say, well, there's some bad stories in the Bible, about how a lot of people were killed and, and God endorsed it. So, so I don't know if I want to believe in a God like that, but, but when you take the whole Bible in context, it's not at all that, right? No. Like God's point has always been, it doesn't matter who you are, like what color your skin is, what language you speak or where you're from in the world, his, his desire is fellowship with you. You can decide that if you want that or not. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's up to each individual to, to decide if they're going to accept it or not. But, but God's design, God's purpose, God's will is that we have fellowship with him. And then that when we're done, our let's say interview process on earth he says we will be put in charge of much mm-hmm. like in this in the parable of the talents and so right he'll say come enjoy the rest of your of your king yeah, i miss quoting that <laughs> like crazy but yeah. enjoy the rest enjoy your your well I mean, just paraphrasing from a god is saying come and enjoy heaven with me right mm-hmm. come and enjoy paradise and he says, if you're faithful with a little, you'll be, you'll be faithful to much. So he's, when, you're, when, when you've been faithful with the, like the 10 talents or your five, and then you made them into 10, he's going to put you in charge of much, right? right. So it's almost all, like in a simple, maybe simple illustration is our, our time here on earth
0: is an interview on what God's using us for in heaven. Like a small trial period. Yeah. And really, when you think about it, I often use this illustration with little kids. Like imagine from this side of the wood to that side of the wood is the span of human existence or even the span of eternity which you can't really put on a timeline. But how big is your 70 80 years on that span? It's like mm-hmm. right there maybe. You know, and it, it's that's how short of a time you're living consciously on earth to determine your existence forever, right? mm-hmm. But I think one of the problems that people often make with uh, the Old Testament to kind of switch gears a little bit is that they make it about us when when you look at that when you think about that, okay, God created man for his pleasure, for his purposes, for his fellowship. We ruined it. And now he's he's wrote a book pointing us, first of all, pointing to the coming of Jesus. Now we look back to the coming of Jesus and we talk about how he redeemed man, brought them back into his fellowship. So then you go to a story like David. This is one of my favorite ones, the story of David and Goliath. Most people will read that and preach it as though It's an admonishment for you and I to face the giants in our lives and to take them down with a stone. God will help you take down your giants. Maybe there's some passing influence or um, suggestions toward that, but that story is not about me defeating a giant. That story is about Jesus defeating the devil. Mm -hmm. All of humanity is sitting there in terror and afraid of the great enemy, Goliath, down in the valley. Nobody dares face him until one man is found. Who comes along? Jesus. Jesus comes along. He faces the the giant giant for us. And then we rejoice in the victory that Christ won. We're back in fellowship with God. Therefore, we can now defeat our enemies. And so to me, when you see the overarching picture of the of the scriptures to see that it's God's kingdom and he's building something and he's he's the one reaching in and saving humanity. Then you can see all these Old Testament stories whether it's Joseph or Daniel yeah. or David, they're not really about you and me to find good principles on how to live. They're talking about what Jesus did for us yep. so that we can live out of that truth and that reality. Yeah,
1: and when you when you start looking at scripture in that sense where where the whole plan, the whole purpose is restoration, then all of a sudden it exactly like you're saying, it's not, no longer just about me. It's about, about a God who desires to have fellowship with me, even though I was this dirty, vile sinner. Mm-hmm. And he said, my son died for that. Right. So that's that whole restoration. I like growing up. I never understood much of scripture. I understood that, that there was such a thing as a God. I understood that, that Jesus was his son and he died on the cross. And my my limited thinking or view on it was hopefully one day I will attain that level of, of goodness that I'll be able to go. Mm-hmm. Totally not understanding what he did. But now when you look back, God always, always draws his people, right? Like he, he doesn't, he doesn't say, um, let's see if by chance, Dan will stumble across enough truth to one day be able to see that I died for him. He's always drawing, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's up to uh, uh, each individual to say, you know what, it's not about me. It's not about me at all. Like when I stop and say, you know what, my job, my purpose as a believer is now, how can I be a blessing to the next person? How can I, how can I even maybe say, bless god in that that i'm going to preach his truth when when you when you stop taking your eye when you when you take your eyes off yourself and start looking at others the way god sees them Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden you look at and say you know what that's what god was doing all along and for me yeah right and then all of a sudden when you when you read uh you know if you have a very good friend or a very very nice person you might dare yourself To jump in front of that bullet if somebody's going to try to get them, right? You're, you're, you may give your life for this Mm -hmm. person. There's a chance, small one, but you may do it. You may have enough courage because you have such a love for this person who you deem to be so good. And yet, while you were dirty,
0: filthy, living in the mud, Christ died. Yeah, for that purpose, for for enemy. Yeah. For someone who was not just uh, down there living in the mud, but someone who was fighting against him, mm-hmm. someone who hated him, right? Yeah. yeah, that's that's the way that we now ought to respond. Based on what he's done for us, we should now, in in mm-hmm. response, live that way. So whether it's marriage or char- parenting or relating to people in the streets or relating to people in the church, that idea of the cross and the gospel of redemption and restitution should permeate everything that we now do, right? Mm-hmm. And when we sin, it's because we're failing to do those things, right? Because that that should be the core of all that we yeah. do.
1: We're taking our eyes off of that cross for a moment and looking at ourselves again. Yeah. And I'm hurt. I'm offended. Something's yeah. bothered me. Yeah. I'm uncomfortable. All of a sudden, it's about me again, and that's where you start. Yeah. Start veering off, right? And and that's the thing that even even in scripture, you often read how God he chastises those whom he loves, right? So if you've already come into fellowship with him and you start veering off that track, God will not leave you alone. That's right. Right? And that's one thing, actually, it brings me a lot of hope when you look at certain scenarios that are going on around us. That I don't have to take up an offense uh, if somebody is doing something wrong. I don't have to take up an offense if if somebody's living in sin. God loves this individual much more than I do. Right. And he will do the work that's needed to restore and to bring them and back. If we,
0: if we can contribute to that, we will like we want to be there yep. for that person and help them to come back but it's so much easier to jump on the bandwagon of i can't believe they were like this mm-hmm. and how could they be this way or yep. that way right it's true i mean but how could any of us have been Exactly. we learned
1: uh, like when you when you take a look at something like that let's say if you're if you're caught in extramarital affairs or if you're or if you're defrauding somebody or or whatever the case is often uh, and, and that's sometimes I think where, where we as believers, sometimes we have made mistakes in that where we will say stuff like, I would never do, and then you, whatever it is that you would never do. Sometimes we would never because we haven't had the opportunity, mm-hmm. right? And then because we haven't had the opportunity, it's easy to say I would never because it's never presented itself. Yeah. And yet when it presents itself, sometimes in that moment, you do something that's really ridiculous. Sometimes you do something that's really bad. You can't believe yourself that you did it. Yeah, you look back and you think, how did that happen? Yeah, right. I thought I was, you know, in tune with
0: God or it's, whatever. And it's kind of funny. We have this doctrine as Christians that we're all very sinful, like to our core, sinful. Like it, we often, like in, in when G, when God destroyed the earth with a flood, He said every thought and imagination, imagination of their heart was only evil continually. And we look at that and say, yeah, that is the human condition. Once you have gone to the age of accountability and you've resisted god you do a lot of evil and you're capable of all types of atrocities Mm -hmm. and yet when we see someone do something that's what we deem as a little more sinful than what i would allow myself we right away think i can't believe that person would do that really What's keeping you from doing those types of things? Exactly. Have you not imagined something along those lines? Mm-hmm. Of course, mm-hmm. you know if you were to display every thought, every imagination you've ever had above your head like a screen, walking around, we'd all stay in a room somewhere hidden. Yep. We wouldn't want anybody to see what we've, <laughs> what our thoughts have been, right? Exactly. And what stopped you from doing that? You know, we don't realize how much, like our upbringing, our our child train, like our, the way we were trained as children, our social circles, the influence of uh, society around us that kind of keeps us in line, like. The only reason you and I haven't tainted ourselves more, before we got saved especially, was because we had strong Mennonite tradition that kind of kept us from doing too many bad things, and so we would try to resist, you know, I don't want to be seen as this or that. Well, would you have done it if there was no restraint? Probably. And so the same way, once once we're Christian, if it's not the Spirit of God keeping us from it, you know, we should be recognizing that we are indeed very capable of doing horrible things. Those people that committed those atrocities in the Second World War under Hitler's reign, they weren't somehow unique, weird individuals that were extra evil. They were just ordinary people who got brainwashed into this idea and they accepted it. Mm-hmm. And after years and years of feeling this way, they started acting on it. You know, At first, it was probably hard for them to put a gun to someone's head, maybe, or gas somebody. After a while, they became immune to it. Well, if they're not even really people they don't have a soul or nothing so why would we worry about
1: it right after like but yeah i know that's like for me so my my upbringing there was never a doubt about god or about the fact that like the the that he existed or or any of those things but because of my my uh, upbringing as far as wanting to be good enough or thinking that i needed to be good enough i never thought that i was so i didn't have this uh, this mentality that I'm a Mennonite, I'm good enough, and and everybody should be like me. Like maybe there was maybe there's some thought process in that regard, but at the same time, I recognized from a very young age that I was sinful and that I would not be able to attain, and I didn't understand what the answer was, mm-hmm. but I knew that I was not good enough and that I couldn't.
0: But still, better than everybody else around you.
1: Yeah, because at least I had a knowledge of yeah right. But it's a weird game. So I I did get into all kinds of stuff growing up okay and and a lot of it 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 could have brought me down a very 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 dark path if if uh certain events hadn't happened in my life but like there was uh drugs sex rock and roll drinking like all those things like when you when you look at when some people describe that kind of a lifestyle like that was me
0: all under the guise of being a good mennonite boy um, yeah, I wouldn't do it publicly so
1: that people wouldn't, wouldn't see it. So as far as people looking at me would have thought very well, upright young man, right? But, uh, the stuff that I was doing was absolutely horrible
0: hmm.
1: and, and I knew it, but my thought was if, if I can't attain this level of perfection, cause I knew I couldn't stop sinning. So at night I would pray. God, forgive me for, and then I'd have this whole list of things that I wanted Him to forgive me for. And then I would make a vow, tomorrow I will do better. Right. And then tomorrow, by the time you're done eating breakfast, you realize your thought process had already dirtied yourself again, yeah, right? My lust is still there. Yeah. And then by the time you're done your whole day, you're back in the same boat again. Then you're asking for forgiveness for everything up to that point, plus what you did today, right? Mm-hmm. And then, because mine kind of always kept extending. So then I, then I, I came to this uh, this realization that I can't be good enough. I, I can't so why am I trying all right so then
0: I, I allowed myself to get into all kinds of nasty things interesting So that, that idea just to touch on that a little bit the Bible talks about covenant breakers in Romans chapter one I think that's what that is mm-hmm. I promise I'll never do this again. My dad actually warned me at one point in time uh, you know if you keep doing the same sin over and over and over again, then maybe there won't be forgiveness. So my logic was, my thought process was, well, then I just won't ask forgiveness for it again, until I know I can stop. <laughs> then I'll just ask once, and then I'll be good, right? Yeah. So then I won't have to break that covenant. At least I won't add that sin to my list right. of sins. But anyway, it got you into all kinds of things. You're saying, yeah, um, it wasn't. I think drinking is probably the the biggest thing.
1: There was, like, I was never addicted. I, I never had the, the need to, but I thought it was fun. Mm-hmm. So I did it just for pure period. During enjoyment.
0: your teen years or even into marriage?
1: Uh, into marriage a little bit. I never had much to do with alcohol after we got married. But, so your wild oats when you're a teen? Pretty much, yeah. You know, the, the typical Mennonite tradition, you got to do it when you're young. Yeah. Um, and it happened to kind of work out that way for me just because, like, it wasn't... I have some family members who were alcoholics, who were deep in. Like
0: siblings? Yeah. Okay.
1: And, uh, and I was spared from that. So I didn't have an addiction. Uh, I did a pure enjoyment for enjoyment. I didn't even like the taste. I just liked the after effects. Of yeah. it, right. And, and, uh, so drinking was a big thing, uh, smoking weed for a good year or so, like, we, like two or three times a week we would just me and some friends and that's just kind of what we did. This, this was our, maybe it wasn't a full year, and then, uh, then it was time to uh, get married and get baptized. W- and when
0: you were in the middle of those things, the alcohol and the weed and all that kind of stuff, was it frowned upon very heavily by your parents, or was it kind of just accepted? Like, well, that's just what teen- teenagers do.
1: No, so that type of lifestyle was very much frowned upon. But they, like, they didn't understand. They didn't know what I was all into. Okay. Um, I was pretty good at hiding most of the stuff. It was. It was I was a pretty good young man, right, was, yep. as far as people could see. So they didn't they didn't know half the stuff that I was
0: into. Because so, some of the Amish communities have a, a period of time they call Ramshpring, mm-hmm. where they actually say, okay, now go into town, wear, wear a worldly clothes, do the worldly things, get it out of your system, sow the wild oats, and then hopefully you'll come back. And apparently their success rate is quite good. Like have, most of them will come back. Mennonites do the same thing, but they kind of try to scold their kids through that period. Meanwhile, they know they did the same thing. Yeah. A lot of them uh, had their oldest child born out of wedlock and stuff like that. And yet they're rebuking their kids for this, that, the other thing. And I understand like you want your kids to do better than you did, mm-hmm. but it's almost like they expect that. I don't know. My parents didn't, but some of them do. Yeah. So we would have had maybe something
1: like that. My that my parents didn't have any kids out of wedlock, but me and my wife did. Right. So our daughter was seven weeks old when we got married. Okay. So we have wedding pictures of where we're holding her at our wedding. Um, and a lot of that, I think, that's probably what brought us back down to earth, probably the most. When all of a sudden, uh, my wife or a girlfriend at the time said, "I'm pregnant."
0: Why didn't you guys quickly rush into a marriage to hide it, like a lot of people do? Uh, the time of year that it happened. Okay.
1: <laughs> so we did, we did jump on the first opportunity to get baptized. All right, you have to get baptized first to get baptized. Go through the whole process of getting baptized, and then uh, waiting till you're done with uh, the big three services after baptism wow. to get married so we ended up uh, getting married on july 7th and that was probably the third
0: sunday after we were eligible for okay for marriage but yeah a lot of men non mennonite people probably wouldn't understand that concept there's baptism once a year mm-hmm. and usually you find a spouse try to get engaged. Then you go get baptized, mm-hmm. go through the baptism classes, and then you can get married. And yes. so a lot of Mennonites would get pregnant out of wedlock and then quickly go through the baptism classes and get married then hope to kind of hide it maybe mm-hmm. a month or two. Right. Maybe it was just early or something like that. Yeah, we but are, if it was the wrong time of year. And then you're stuck. We
1: actually missed our, our planned baptism date because our daughter was born. Oh, really? Yeah. So we were going to uh Tils-Murgle colony church at the time. And then the morning of the day of baptism our daughter was born
0: okay so you had to go to another
1: church group so we had to travel to um uh, niagara on the lake i see um virgil to virgil to the church there that's the last one from any of the mennonite churches so you just caught of the year so we had to go there and that was when our daughter was like three days old wow we had to travel there and get it done there so that was i think like going through that process it, it kind of i think brought us to the uh to the realization that there's consequences.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And, and then when, when my wife was all of a sudden pregnant and then, or my girlfriend at the time, then also we had to like, okay, we, we can't secretly live in this kind of lifestyle anymore because now it doesn't matter what we do. It's going to be in the open. Everybody knows. And I think, I think then the thought of, okay, God also is aware, right? It's not right. like, it's not like you can hide these things even from God. And then, I think at that point is probably where, where the drawing really started happening. Um, and that kind of turned us a whole lot more religious for a while. Cause mm-hmm. we, now we don't, we're going to do this seriously. Now we're going to do it right. And it kind of took us down a very religious path for a while. And then I kind of started fading away where it wasn't as big of a deal. And then,
0: and then uh, until one day when God said, no, I want you. Interesting. I know the first time I heard about you, I was uh, I'm, I've been good friends with Pete Simons for many years, and he was working with you at Green World. Yeah. And at first, it was like this constant headbutting. Anything that he would say about the gospel or the scriptures, you were always quick to kind of shut him down. And, and you're pretty quick with your words, so I think there was always a bit of a challenge there from him, you and him getting back and forth. But then when you started slowly opening up, like it was a pretty thrilling time for Pete too, to see you starting to understand and open up a little bit, you know, like admitting certain things maybe. And I would imagine that has a lot to do with how you came to the faith. Yeah. There was, there was two guys actually. Pete was one of them. He's,
1: he was a huge, huge part of it. And then John Jansen. The two worked together. John and Anna Jansen. So John and Pete, they were, they were always kind of, Hey Pete, talking to each other, talking to each other. And especially about items that, would or should affect me okay in front of me right so that <laughs> i would hear it an interesting if, way of witnessing because if they took a direct approach like you were saying i was very quick to shut them down i do oh, no, no, no. yeah you're wrong and then i didn't care if, if i was or not wrong i just that's what what the standard answer was and then i'd walk away um but a lot of those things did stick like i wouldn't let them know but and then they started changing their approach but they would say hey pete we were having this discussion about whatever they were talking about uh what do you think?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I, I wouldn't even want to take what part in What does this
0: passage say?
1: Yeah, so first it would say, here's what it says. And I would think, yeah, you're reading from your Bible, which is already twisted or whatever. So I mean, I'm not even interested. But then they would say, uh, can you check this passage and you can tell us tomorrow? So that meant I could go home think on my it. own time, read it and dissect it and then come back with an answer. And if yeah. I and if I thought, oh, what they're saying is absolutely correct and, and my my answer would have been wrong. I just wouldn't bring it up again. <laughs> I, hope that it I would just remember. kind of steer clear. If they would bring it up, I would just kind of pretend that I didn't hear them or whatever. But that's kind of where the, where the truth, I think, started sinking in more, that there was more to it.
0: Especially when you see that, okay, something I was holding to for my whole life, this is not what that says. Mm-hmm. And now I have to reflect on that. like, Or you have to be a completely dishonest person and ignore the Bible for the rest of your life. Right. Which in one sense, a lot of Mennonites do get encouraged to pretty much just leave the Bible alone. Mm-hmm. Like, You might find stuff in there that feels contradictory to your lifestyle or to your tradition. Right. So don't bother reading it because it's going to disrupt your life. But once you find that in the Bible, the book that we claim to cling to, and you see that this doesn't add up, that's that's when it really gets difficult to... To balance those things yeah, we had a conversation at my one of my family gatherings once
1: uh, it's a number of years ago now uh, me and my wife and a few of my siblings were at that point born again and one of my brother-in-laws had a question and we're all sitting there was at an Easter gathering and and uh, he asked a question and everybody was in the room and he did it so loud that everybody heard what he was asking and because we were always on our, on our way there to gatherings we would pray lord if if we can somehow do or say something that will impact them for you, open the door. Otherwise we're just going to j- just live out our faith mm-hmm. in hopes that that does something. Cause we don't want to ruin it. We don't want to close the door or ruin our chances of witnessing by being too aggressive. Uh, and then when he asked the question, I forget the question now, but he asked something and I kind of just looked around a bit and thought, man, everybody's not waiting to hear an answer. I said, Lord, do a work. And then right away, the thought popped in my mind, okay, uh, before I answer that question, let, let's let establish a little bit of ground work here first. Uh, all of us here, we, we, we believe that God is the Almighty. He's the creator and everything came to being by him. Well, obviously, yes. Like It's a silly question. We also all agree that his son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth and died on that cross for us so that we can have eternal salvation through him. Of course, that's what the Bible says, right? That's, that's who he is. And, this, and the third thing, we all believe that God's word is true and we can trust it. I said, well, like you're, you're asking us silly questions here. For of course, people, uh, of course we all believe these things. And I said, okay, now that we've all agreed on these very foundational truths, here's what the biblical answer is to your question. God says, and then it's I have my opinion. Exactly. And then what are you going to do with that? You just told me that you believe that to be true.
0: Mm-hmm. Here's what it says. So you right? took the very method that was used against you at uh, Green yeah. World with Pete and John. Yep, that's cool. So do you do you remember when the uh, the light hit when the gospel finally penetrated and it made sense? Um, I don't see. I, it was a process because of working with those guys.
1: So there was there was a lot of a lot of stuff Slow, that was going convincing, on. Right. And then, but the the moment where there was actual like a uh, where the light bulb actually went off. So the Wisman family had come to Lighthouse uh, to do a concert and some messages and stuff. We and you were not attending there yet? No, we weren't attending yet. We had really wanted to attend that weekend because of uh, we liked the singing. So we knew of the Wisman family. We knew their singing, kind of. Uh, we didn't know, know them, but we had kind of researched a bit so we knew who they were. And we thought, man, it sounds good. We'd like to go. But we chickened out. Because it was such a controversial thing still. Yeah, and then... And then on Monday, when Pete came to church, he goes, hey, I didn't see you there. I thought you were going to come. I'm, well, yeah, this came up or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> some excuse. Whatever excuse came up. And and then he said, well, it's recorded and it's on DVDs. If you want a copy, I can still get you one. I said, perfect. Hand it over. Right? Yeah. So then I think shortly after that, he gave me the set. It was like four or five sessions. So Lauren Wisman, the dad, was uh, he had about half hour messages after kind of like a concert yeah. for about half an hour and then a half an hour message and then they would close. And then at the end of the whole session, uh, of the whole uh, series, uh, he said, let's not walk away from this weekend saying, oh, we heard some good singing. And I was thinking, well, in my mind, before he said that, I was thinking, man, this was some good singing here. It, it wasn't yet to the point where where I was totally giving myself in for, for the for the gospel, but at the same time, I was thinking, Man, that's some good scene. I really, really enjoyed it. And then he said, let's not walk away from this weekend saying, oh, we heard some good messages. And I was thinking, well, both those things I was actually thinking in my mind when he was talking, mm-hmm. it, I was thinking, good music, good this, messages. This guy's reading my mind and it's on a DVD. It's not even live or anything, right? Yeah. And then he said, uh, he's quoting James, where he said, Let's not be hearers of the word only, but doers. And all of a sudden, like, light bulb, like, that's me. I've been a hearer of the word. I've heard so many messages, always gone gone to church from little on, Sunday school and everything else. Always a hearer, never with the thought of being a doer of what it actually said, but always a hearer. And then from that moment on, things started changing drastically in our house. We had Bible studies and and all kinds of stuff, and then... uh, uh, up to the point one day where we just said, You know what God was calling us to to leave where we were at to go join lighthouse and and uh so we with much reluctance and fear, mm-hmm. we took
0: that step of faith and I would imagine there was quite a lot of backlash leaving old colony for your family and stuff like that. You were pretty involved too, some like school board stuff, things like uh, that. I wasn't in the school
1: board, no, but I was involved in Sunday school and right. those kinds of things, yeah. Yeah. My dad was quite well known because he had been attending there all his life, and he was like pushed eye on those kinds of things, right? So everybody knew of our family, and everybody that knew of our family was always netidlich, right? They're always well ordered, well ordered, like uh, well behaved, yep. and, and
0: all those things, and and yet um, dressed the part, looked the part, yeah, yeah. I remember preaching a message. I was uh, attending the church at the end at the time. It was my first time preaching, and I I kind of repeated. An illustration that someone else had shared with me it was the whole robe of righteousness the sin robe and then this the robe of righteousness and it was recorded on audio and somehow you got a hold of that yep. i remember pete commenting that, that had made a bit of an impact yep. on you too so, so that idea the concept of christ gave up his righteousness he took cross took off his robe of righteousness his white beautiful robe and laid it down and took up your robe of sin and dredged with guilt and shame and all that and then he laid himself on the cross without complaint, without fighting back, mm-hmm. he allowed himself to be crucified as if he were the sinner. You know, God get, made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So now we come to the cross and we don't get on the cross with him. We were crucified with him, but we take up his robe of righteousness and we enter into heaven, into God's presence as if we had done what he did because he took yeah. our punishment. Right? That's,
1: That's an amazing uh, thought, right? A like, great transaction. It, it, it's hard to comprehend, like even... Even still, when I think of that, that who I am, who I was, who, what my desires were that, 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 that act of what Christ did forgave me, right? That he took my sin upon himself and that, that, that when, when that was done, when I had accepted that free gift, Mm -hmm. it was as if I had never sinned.
0: Yeah. Righteous in his sight. Yeah. And. And
1: then to be called good, to be holy. called holy, to be called perfect. Yet, yeah, when you know yourself, you make mistakes and yeah. stuff. And, that, and I think that was one of the biggest things for me to get over was to not go by my feelings, because you feel condemned yeah. often, right? Like when you look at the thing that, let's say, if you've had a a train of thought that wasn't good, or if you whatever whatever is going into a
0: bad habit somehow,
1: or somebody cuts you off and you get mad, or or whatever whatever goes on. But according to how God's viewing you now, it's as if you're perfect. That's right. And and for me, it was very, very hard to actually get to that point where I said, you know what?
0: That That's how God views me. Not- even now, even after this incident, even after that incident, mm-hmm. you know, God, Jesus made one sacrifice for sins forever. And he sat down at the right hand of God. And I know a lot of people have doubted their salvation. I've had questions, people email me questions and stuff and say, I have struggled with this for so long, I keep doubting myself, am I actually saved? And I I always try to point them to the idea of, what is it that gives you confidence or takes away your confidence? Are, Are you doubting that Jesus was a perfect man? No. Are you doubting that he gave himself for your sins? Well, no, absolutely not. Are you doubting that when he died, it was sufficient to pay for your sins, that God was pleased with that? No. Are you doubting that he rose from the grave and that he ascended into heaven to give you eternal life? No, I have no doubt in that. What are you doubting then? Are you doubting your faith? You're not saved by your faith. You're saved by the work of Jesus. You place your faith in what he did. And if you're confident that what he did is complete and whole and perfect, that's where your joy comes from. That's mm-hmm. where your excitement and your confirmation comes from. So whenever you're doubting, you don't look to inside to see did I have enough faith? Did I trust the right way? Did I repent properly? No, like, did Jesus do the work? Did he com- accomplish his purposes? Mm-hmm. Was it sufficient to please God fully? Well, yeah, of course. Once for all, yeah. right?
1: Like, yeah. And in, in the, the ways your life changes after, like not, not that you're now perfect, because we, we, we already talked about that. We're, we're still not in our flesh. We're still not living a, uh, in a, a life of perfection. But understanding that, I think maybe one of the biggest uh, obstacles is, or was for me, was understanding that my past, present, future sins were forgiven.
0: That's hard to understand as a Mennonite. It it, it is, but when you look
1: at when Christ died on that cross and said it is finished, all of my sins were future. (laughs)
0: future. (laughs) And
1: he said that I was forgiven
0: by that, right? I talked to a guy the other day, grew up Old Colony 2, and he said that he actually remembers vaguely praying That he would be killed or die on the day of his baptism Mm -hmm. because then he thought at least then my slate will be wiped clean as far as my future sins which i know i'll commit i have no way to resolve those i don't know because jesus isn't going to die twice you know it's like that one moment in time maybe is the cleanest i'll ever be so if i have a chance that's the time i want to go right Mm -hmm. or i remember thinking as a kid I i heard stories about little boy that got crushed under a rock in mexico and uh, his brother, filled with adrenaline, was able to lift the rock up long enough for him to pray the Lord's prayer, you know, Los or something like that, or Unser falter mm-hmm. and just quickly pray and then drop the rock, and he died. And I thought, oh, that guy's got a chance. He did the right thing right at the end, right? But no confidence that our sins are actually all paid for. I think that's one of the main reasons Jesus came was to free us up to now go and serve. You don't have to be on this constant treadmill of trying to. Recover for your mistakes and try to make up for your sins and always make more sacrifices That doesn't encourage me to want to do more sin So when I do fail, I have an advocate with the father I can just move right on give thanks confess my fault to my brothers and just keep right on trucking, right?
1: Yeah (laughs) that whole idea right like you're 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 not You're not thinking now now that I'm saved now I can go on sinning and it's not going to harm me anymore. It mm-hmm. um, will it'll, it'll harm your life. Oh, it will for sure. But but the thought, sometimes if you don't understand salvation is, oh, he says he's saved and now he thinks uh, he can do whatever he wants. Like, mm-hmm. I can do whatever I want. Now that I'm saved, I can do whatever I want because what I want to do is please God. Because if you're, once you're saved, the, I think that was one of the fears of uh, of my dad when he said, so, So now that you're saved, that you're saying that you're saved, you can do whatever you want, Mm -hmm. nothing matters anymore. Well, no, but I
0: can do whatever I want. Well, because Paul Paul was accused of saying that you teach, let us do evil that good may come. Because the more evil I do, the more gracious God is. So why not just do more? Keep sinning. Mm -hmm. Grace will abound, right? And he says, their damnation is just if you think that way, right? Yeah. Yeah, so if you want to serve God,
1: if you want, like when you're born again, so if you're... I'm convinced that if you are born again by the blood of Christ, you're washed clean, you are now a servant of God, you're a child of God,
0: your desire will be to serve him. Right? Mm-hmm. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, and you can attest sense. to that, right? Yeah. Because I know you've shared your story with me before. Immediately you wanted to serve. You wanted to mm-hmm. get involved. And mm-hmm. it seemed like no matter where you went, somebody kept saying, okay, you want to do this? You want to do that? Song leading maybe or children's lessons no, or not, Sunday school? Yeah, not song not leading. Not song? Okay. Yeah, if, if I start singing, I think the <laughs> church would start emptying. But. <laughs> okay. Okay. But always serving in some capacity yeah. and eventually to the point where before you knew it, you were already being selected as a leader for the church, right?
1: Yeah. Like when, when, we st- when we started going to Lighthouse or just before, um, my wife and I went for a walk at Burwell Beach one evening, We went on a date night, went for a walk. And I said, Lisa, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not sure if you want to hear or not, but I said, I think God wants us there. We had done, I think we had gone once or twice already. I said, but I believe God wants to use me in the
0: German ministry at Lighthouse. Hmm. There was no German mastery at the
1: time. Yeah, there was. Okay. Yeah, it was. It was relatively new. They had they had been doing it for a while with about you know forty fifty people, and then it started growing a little bit. So they moved into the sanctuary, and after that, uh, that's when we started attending there. So it just when we started, it was maybe sixty to eighty people that were attending. John Jansen would do some of the German ones then, yeah. and Henry Weed. Henry Weed would, John Jansen would, JP, uh, John Jake Peters, Gens. and Jake Ends, uh, and then later on, Isaac Buchert did some as well. And then I was thinking to myself, well, I felt like God was saying that, but but meanwhile were, you were a brand new young Christian. yeah, and and they were being very well taken care of. They had many people that were ministering to them in Low German, so it wasn't like that that there wasn't a need yet. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking maybe a misunderstanding. And then we were we were going there for some time, and then we we decided, okay, this is our home church. We're gonna we're gonna we're just gonna become a member. We're gonna join join the church and show our dedication to them by 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 joining. And then we I think we were members for like three months. And then the Sunday school leaders stepped down because they had a few small children, they're gonna have another one, and it was busy in their house, so they said, Well, oh, we're gonna take some time away from that. And then they asked if we would consider taking that that position over in. And, and we had never thought of serving in Sunday school, and when it came up, I was thinking, Okay, God, have I misunderstood you? Did you is this what you wanted from us? And then we said, yeah. Okay, well, we don't we didn't feel any any hesitations of saying, yes, yeah, so okay, I mean, we took some time to pray about it, but we felt like, no, this was an open door. You can
0: so, see now, it was God stepping you in the direction. Eh? Yeah,
1: like, if those that are faithful with a little, will be faithful with much, right? And it seemed like he was testing me to see if I would be or not. And when we were in in Sunday school, first, first uh, uh, I started ushering, just helping people to their seats, or if there's open spots, and those things. And then Sunday school, and then we loved it. It was It was a blast. We were, I forget how many students were there, but, you know, organizing the lessons and doing the the Christmas banquet or the Christmas uh, program and all that stuff. We had had such fun doing it. And then after three years of that, that's when we joined the deacons, the board of deacons Mm -hmm. that we had. I would think there was a team of, uh, there was three at the time and they normally had five to six couples that were serving as deacons. And then, so then we got added there and we loved it. It was each time it was another, it was a blessing. We were able to serve like, Cause my, my thought was, so backing up a little bit before these things started happening. Um, my thought was even like I shared before a little bit, what my lifestyle had been like before with uh, sex, drugs and rock and roll kind of thing. Um, in my mind, I'm thinking that I'm not worthy to serve God, mm-hmm. but yet I remember the the day I kneeled down to pray and I said, Lord, I want to serve you. Yeah. If there's anything, I don't care if it means that mm-hmm. I'm sweeping the It'd be a great honor, like, right? like whatever. If it's sweeping the hallway, cleaning or the toilets, what, I don't yeah, care. whatever it is, I want to be used by you. I want to serve you. If you can still use me for anything, whatever it is, I want to do it. Amen. And and it started off by little things like that, and then to be able to stand like so. After about three, no, it wasn't three years in the ministry. I think it was about a year and a half. Uh, then they needed to add elders, and then we were selected in to join the Board of this Elders. This was all
0: within three or four years after you joined Fort Uh,
1: So we were four, five, maybe six, six-ish years, and then uh, then we joined the Board of Elders, and that felt like such a massive step that mm-hmm. it, it was scary because <laughs> if I'm now going to speak— behind the pulpit which is a sacred place am i worthy to be there yeah like what how am i gonna do this i had i had visions not visions like where i was kind of daydreaming about about the day when i would because i always thought i would one day preach but the thought was one day or whatever right? it wasn't that it was actually happening and uh and I always had these okay i would do this i would do it in this way and when i was actually when it was time i was like oh man Here it is. Here it is. And now what am I going to do? Like people come to church to hear the speaker. What truth are you going to present? What word has God given you to share with us, to edify, to correct, to encourage, whatever. So their purpose is to come to listen. Now, what are you going to say that God wants you to say? And, Mm -hmm. And I struggled with that before I preached my first message. It was like, okay, Henry, Weeb has preached so long John Jantz and herman and all these guys have been preaching so for so many years here what can I say that hasn't been said like because they've been hearing the, the truth for years and then I started thinking well I have to get creative I have to you know find a new way and and then I, and all of a sudden I felt like God was rebuking me saying Peter truth mm-hmm. that's your job present truth the rest is up to me right and and that was a huge burden off of my shoulders even thinking like I don't have I've to give you a whole book. I don't have to be creative, I, like yeah, you have you have to sure you have to put some thought into you, it. You have to be able to present the truth that's in the in the scripture, so that people will be able to follow what you're saying, and that the, that it will be edifying for them. Yes, but not as far as finding new ways of doing it, so that it will be something new. The Bible isn't yeah. new. You're it not doesn't... trying
0: to draw attention to your new ways, your better no. ways of presenting it. No,
1: your attention always points to God. Yeah. And if, if that's the case, then you don't care about your own reputation. You want to present truth for the sake of God to his people so that that a man you, being used by God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, presents the word of God to God's people so that they will be edified mm-hmm.
0: and encouraged. Right. And the and spirits then, in that whole thing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, okay, well, the pressure's off of me. I just have to be obedient. I found, I found the pressure really came off of me too when I realized I could actually just teach the Bible verse by verse. And I didn't have to be so super creative to come up with, mm-hmm. how do I compile this verse, this verse, this verse, and this verse together? How do I put it in a three-point sermon and all that? Mm-hmm. Not saying that those are bad things. Some people are really good at that. But when I realized I could just teach the Bible verse by verse the same way that the Apostle Paul or Peter or whoever wrote it, mm-hmm. it was like, wow, I can I'll touch on all kinds of topics but I don't have to be super creative. I just have to find what's there and bring it to the people's attention. That's my favorite way of preaching is when you go
1: expository.
0: I heard a preacher many, many, many years ago. He told me, he says, I was just teaching Bible studies at the time. He says, you know how sometimes when you pick up the Bible, you'll read a chapter and then you'll be like, what did I just read? I said, yeah, that happens to me sometimes. He says, 95% of Christians read their Bibles like that all the time. Mm -hmm. So when you're teaching the Bible, all you do is just tell them what's there. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, well, that's obvious. And
1: they're there to listen, yeah. right? So you're, you have an audience that for the purpose, they, they get up on Sunday morning or whatever, whenever, if you have devotions or your Bible studies or whatever it is, the people that are coming there are coming with the intent of listening. Being edified in some way. Yeah. yeah so you're not, you're not trying to corral them somewhere so that you can quickly expound something. They're there because they want to hear. They've come voluntarily because they're they're there to listen. So yeah. now you have an opportunity to present truth, right? Yeah. And that and that's for me probably the biggest burden that got lifted when I when I realized it ain't about me at all. That's right. The success of a message or the failure of it doesn't depend on me. I mean, unless I'm botching it, yes, but but it doesn't depend on me. It, God's word will do what He set it out to do, and mm-hmm. will accomplish what He set it out to do. It's not going to return void. If I'm presenting that truth, God takes care of the rest. Amen.
0: Well, that's uh, not a bad place to end it. Was there anything big that you wanted to kind of mention yet? Something that you had thought I'd really like to get out there?
1: Uh uh-huh. <laughs>
0: There's a lot we could talk there, about. We, we could do a few more podcasts. We could do, maybe we'll have to do that.
1: Maybe we'll do some in the future where we'll, where we'll have a, a topic or something in mind beforehand. We'll yeah.
0: have a, I would love that. I know I've had one repeat guest now on the podcast, and it was a lot of fun. We didn't really repeat his story, because if you wanted to hear that, you could go back to the other episode. Mm -hmm. And today we did, you know, the first 20 minutes or more or so was some neat topics that we touched on. So um, it was pretty exciting to, to talk to you.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed
0: it.